Welcome to the OA Virtual Kitchen Sink Meeting Podcast. Visit the Los Angeles Intergroup at oalaig.org for information on how to join our meeting live and how to donate to support this meeting and our podcasts. The opinions expressed on the Kitchen Sink Podcast are those of the individual speakers and do not represent OA as a whole. And now, our speaker. Good morning. My name is Susan. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in West Los Angeles. Excuse me, Susan. I'll let you know when you've got five left. You go till 930. Thanks. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you, Don, for asking me to speak. I used to go to this meeting in person when it was at the log cabin um, for many, many years. Um, And it's wonderful today to be here with this worldwide fellowship. So I've looked around the room. A lot of you I know, but a lot of you I don't know. So you can't really see me, but now you will be able to. Let me show you um, what it was like and what it's like today. So my top weight was 250 pounds, size 26 dress. My feet were even a size and a half bigger than they are today. I'm five foot seven and a quarter. My quarter is very, very important, don't you know? Um, And I have abstained, obtained and maintained a normal body weight for almost 24 years now. And that is by developing a relationship with the God of my understanding, because it's lack of human power and not the tool of a food plan that has saved me and given me grace. Um, I have a daily reprieve. I do what I did when I first came here and some. I keep on coming back to meetings to remember where I've been, where I am today, and what will happen if I stop going to meetings. And by the way, welcome back, Phoebe. We're so happy that you're here. So here I am in all my glory. I was actually slimming there on the top right one, and I weighed 178. And only a real compulsive overeater like myself would remember the exact weight Um, And I also liked it because I could actually buy that outfit from a normal store. Um, There used to be a store in Beverly Hills called, I think it was Big and Beautiful. And when I had big functions to go to, that was the only place that I could go to. And it was mortifying. Um, Then I finally got here after 16 years of screwing around. I came in and out of these rooms for 16 years. I could tell you that I kept on relapsing, but that wouldn't be really very, very honest. I never came all the way in and sat all the way down. So that's what my hair looks like without chemicals of straightening and lots of blonde in it and all sorts. Um, So these were taken when I first lost my weight. I was able to do the breast cancer walk for three days. And this is what I look like today. Um, And here's some fun and some fellowship. This is what we get to have. And now through this worldwide fellowship that we've had for three years, the miracle is that I have all these friends literally all over the world. And I always love to point out down on the right hand side is my nephew, who's now 23. And of course, I think he's a rock star. But the miracle is he's never, ever known me any other way. And he knows what I do. And he it's just it's kind of it's really very, very amazing. And here's some more fun and fellowship. There's my nephew again on the right-hand side. This, the third one in was my 23rd birthday in OA last summer. That's my sister. We were in Croatia and then some other people you might recognize or not. So if you are lonely today in Overeaters Anonymous, I'm just going to say, pick up the phone. Announce yourself at meetings, talk. There is no need to be lonely here. Look, I was able to reach out to a friend in Dublin, Ireland and say, 
would you like to read this morning? Wow. So there's a chapter in the big book called More About Alcoholism. And, you know, my eating behaviors were, as it was mentioned, you know, I ate out the dustbin. I wouldn't hesitate to put my finger around your plate and then go ahead and eat it. You know, things, if they weren't put down the sink, they were coming out of the dustbin. That was just the way it worked. I have tried every imaginable remedy and it didn't work. But I won't tell you, let me have done the pain for you because you do have to have your own experience. And my bottom, despite how big my bum was, won't necessarily be yours. I wired my jaw shut. I went to every single doctor in Los Angeles and had needles in my bum, pills I took. I never questioned side effects or anything. I just saw the pretty pictures and they were all skinny. I used to have all these pictures up on my fridge of all of these girls from these great ads. I had a vision board. I had everything. But none of those things helped me stay stopped. And when I came into meetings, I would sit in the back row and fold my arms. That is not a girl who was drowning and desperate. That was a girl who had a lot of justification, a lot of opinions, a lot of righteous anger. And she was going to find her way up and out of this, which there is a way to do. And it talks about that in step 12, in the AA 12 and 12. But I couldn't do it on my own power. And it says here that it's in page 30, it says it is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker slash eater, vomiter, person who starves. We all want to somehow, someday. And I, I truly believe that because if I didn't, I wouldn't have always had that lurking notion that, well, it works for them, but it's not going to work for me. And I'm going to be different. Nobody comes in here and goes, whoop de doo Overeats Anonymous. I'm so excited. Can I sign up for a lifelong membership? And if you tell me that you did, I'm, I'm going to kind of query that because I'm not really sure I've ever heard anybody say they came in here skipping and countless vain attempts. Who thinks it's a good idea to have their jaw wired shut and then leaves and starts driving through everywhere and at 250 pounds maintains her weight for three months. That's how I know I am the real deal and that I belong here. And it tells me that and this persistence of this illusion is astonishing and it could kill me. So until I went through this process of fully conceding to my innermost self that I was the real deal with this food and that going from a slice to a loaf or a cup to a gallon was not what normal people did. And that every time they said to me, you're there, Susan, because by the way, I lost my weight many times. I'm a champion. I'm an Olympic gold medalist when it comes to dieting. It's about the only thing I could get an Olympic gold medal in. There would be nothing else going. But I just thought I've got this. And my ego and all my glory took over. And I would wait, cry on a Sunday and think, what am I going to wear to work on Monday? How can I be back here in triple digits? over and above of my weight, because don't you know, I was never going to weigh over 200 pounds. Okay. And I know today that 250 would be the starting point in the blink of an eye. I'm very, very sure of that. So until I, you know, the first step is to fully concede. And I know that that comes several pages afterwards, but it's the first step, you know, it's the second half of the first step. And that 
the delusion that we are like other people, and I will add, or ever will be, or presently maybe has to be smashed. And it talks about all the self-deception and experimentation. Absolutely. If I move to America, my stepmother won't annoy me. Everybody's gorgeous in America. Haven't you seen all the shows? Don't you see what they all look like? They have perfect lives. Beep, big mistake, big mistake. But what you did have here was, oh, you don't even have to get out of the car to get your food. You can drive around this little thing and nobody sees you and you can have a nosh in the car and then get home and have even more. This is permanent, progressive and fatal. So the progression when I moved here really was accelerated. Um, And on every single street corner, there is the hope and the dream, yes, that maybe you can win an Academy Award if that's what you want to come here for, but you can also find your way to be skinny. And again, you don't have to come here and be overweight like I was because this lies in my mind. So there are plenty of people here today that came in at normal weights and everyone is welcome. Whether your head's in the toilet vomiting, whether you're starving yourself or your thighs are rubbing together and bleeding like mine were. Come all the way in and sit all the way down. There is so much hope and love here. And also, you're going to make your best friends here. And that was the last thing I ever wanted. Because don't you know, I have so many friends. I don't have time for you. And then, you know, it talks about the bottom of page 31. And if you are wondering if you belong here, go on to OA.org. We have 15 questions. All the 12-step meetings have them. And it says, we do not like to pronounce any individual as alcoholic, but you can quickly diagnose yourself. Step over to the nearest bar and bakery, pizza joint, wherever it is you like to go and try some controlled drinking. I was really good at that. I mean, this is a girl who got invited to do a photo shoot for Nutrisystem and I did it and I left there and I binged. No human power. No idolatry of anything brought me anything. No promise of a guy, of a this, of a that. And I was always, let me buy a this, let me do a that. Then if I do it, always trying to fill that God-sized hole with anything but these steps. And here's the part, here's the hammer. Try to drink and stop abruptly. And once I have set that craving in motion, because there are certain foods that I am allergic to, It will happen over and over again. And unless I can have this entire psychic change, which for me has been the result of this emotional rearrangement, which has been procured by these 12 steps, working them precisely, taking the hand of somebody else who might just know a little bit more than you, Susan, might just know a smidge more that could help you. Nothing changed in my life. So I went on a family trip. No surprise. This was my bottom. (laughs) I went home for my sister's wedding and it was horrible. It was really, really horrible because nobody, nobody played. We had rehearsed this and nobody got on stage and did what I asked them to do. And it talks about that as well in the big book. The director, I want everybody to do it, but they didn't. And everything came crashing down. And I got to the airport and God spoke through me and said, whatever happens, you're done. We are done here. You're going to take the hand of somebody else. I came home. I made a phone call. I cried and I begged. I stalked this woman the whole weekend. 
And on that Sunday night, I spent two hours crying on the phone with her. And this was God sending that miracle to me. And in that moment, God spoke through her Sunday night. Who stops eating on a Sunday night? I mean, come on. And I'd been eating all day. That's how desperate I was. I had been eating all day. But she extended her hand and said to me, what are you going to have for dinner? Can you imagine? Cold sweat breaks out. And I said, well, it's Sunday night. I'm going to start on Monday morning. And here was the hammer and she was right. She said, Susan, if you don't commit to me what you're going to eat tonight, I've never forgotten these words or where I was standing at my townhouse in Encino on my phone with the big press numbers, all of that stuff. I remember it so clearly because it was so powerful. She said, if you don't commit to me what you are going to eat tonight, you won't call me in the morning. And I just went, okay. And from that minute on, I just said yes to everything that she said even that I shouldn't speak in meetings for a couple of months because she thought I had too much to say for myself. Maybe it would be good to listen. Maybe it would be good to listen. And I did. And I got on the bus here. And I had to admit, I talked about this this morning in the um, 24-hour day book, which I read every day. They admit that they're helpless by themselves and they call on that higher power for help. They recover their faith in a higher power that can help them. Have I recovered my faith? I had to stop believing that all of these outside sources were the things that could stop me. And I dug deep into this fellowship. Wherever help was needed, I raised my hands, even emptying those horrible coffee pots at the kitchen sink when we were in person (laughs) and at Serenity Sunday when all the grains come out and I just did it. I did it. I had to humble myself. It didn't matter what was going on out there in my job and how bourgeois I think I am and fancy schmancy. I had to be on a level playing field with all of you because I started reading this book and on page 45, it says, Susan, lack of power is your dilemma. You have to find a power by which you can live. I'm paraphrasing because, you know, of course, it's all personalized and written to me. And it has to be a power greater than yourself. So it was never about a food plan or the right Sunday or a Monday or the right day ending in a why. And I want to spend the last couple of minutes talking about one of my favorite things, and that is giving back and working with others here. Whether it be volunteering on a meeting, serving on the board, being an intergroup rep, Become a part of this incredible fellowship that has given me so much. Donating a few dollars to the seventh tradition. Do you know, I I don't believe I would have ever known about Overeaters Anonymous if I would have just stayed in my little corner in the UK. I know it's there. I have family in it now. I have worldwide friends. I'm going to a convention when I'm there in June. How exciting is that? I go home and now I have this fellowship. I call on others and I say, what meetings do you go to? And last year I was home for over a month. And these lovely women in my life told me, this is what we do in the mornings. Then we do this group meditation. Then sometimes in the evening we do this. Wrap yourself up in this fellowship. We can't do the work for you, but we can certainly take your hand and take you along for this magnificent ride. This is a broad highway and it keeps on broadening and broadening. And I'm never bored here and I'm always having fun. And it says 
that, you know, you're going to have immunity, you know, you're going to be kept safe and protected if you work with others. If you aren't ready to sponsor today, just making a call to somebody else, just making a call, getting out of yourself. And so beautifully, and I'll just close with this, because it's been so true for me, life will take on new meaning to watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish. Remember when Ebby came to Bill's door and he was freshly shaven and bright eyed. Such a promise to see a fellowship grow up about you. I think Zoom is the best thing that's ever happened to Overeaters Anonymous. This is an experience you must not miss. We know you will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. And it truly is the bright spot of mine Excuse today. Excuse me, Susan, you have five minutes left. Oh, I do? I can do. You go till 9.30, my friend. Oh, fantastic. So, you know, working with others, giving back. When I'm asked to speak, unless it's in the middle of the night, which some of you do, but I will not do, <laughs> um, I say yes. I say yes. Um, and today I don't have any wreckage. I can't help it if you don't love me every day the way I want you to. If you don't like everything that I have to say, if I step on the toes of my fellows, I fix it. And I know when I'm being a schmo, believe me, when something comes out of my mouth, I'm like, oh, great one, great one. And I've learned here, God is in the pause. God is in the pause. And not everybody wants to hear all my little plans and designs for their lives. They don't want to hear it. So today, I actually wait when people call me about things and see if there's a question mark at the end of their sentence. And if there isn't, and then they go, do you have anything to say? I actually say, do you have a specific question for me? What I do on a daily basis before I get out of bed, I get into that spiritual gymnasium with God. I get in there and we start chatting. We start to review the day. I either say the serenity prayer in the morning or the first three steps, whatever comes into my mind. I read on awakening and I really take that reading very, very seriously because it really is my daily prescription. And it tells me there before we begin, ask God to direct your thinking. Another little contingency here, especially asking that be divorced from self-pity, dishonesty or self-seeking motives. And I have written here, and please destroy my pride. <laughs> I can have quite a bit of that every now and again. And you know what else? A lot of laughter. I laugh at myself all the time and not in a self-deprecating way. But we have to laugh, right? There's a lot of joy and a lot of freedom here. I have to do the work. And it is intensive work and it doesn't always feel good. You know, I have a sponsee here today who just went through her fifth step and I know she thought she was going to die and she didn't. And she's here 72 hours later. And now she started her amends process and she's still smiling and still living and it's going well. My first sponsor told me I have to fight for the right to be uncomfortable. And she was right, because what I was doing wasn't comfortable. Somebody took me to a meeting when I first moved here in 19, it was, I think it was actually in 1983. I came in 1982. And I never, ever saw that woman again. I actually saw her in person in January. 
And I would occasionally mention her name. And again, this is about working with others. And this is the story that I will close on. And occasionally I would say her name from a podium. And I said it once about six or seven years ago. And somebody who I don't think is here today said to me, oh, she still comes. And I said, oh, okay. And I wouldn't have recognized her in a crowd or if she was standing right next to me. We were in our 20s then. Um, And life moves on. I speak at a meeting about three years ago. My sponsor invites me who wouldn't private message me or text me when I'm speaking. And I see this thing pop up. I happen to start telling the story and she says, she's here. And I see other people's and I see another person here's eyes suddenly start to open and put some things together. And I, this person was there that day. Here I go, always cry when I tell the story. And at the end of my share, she wrote to me in the chat and she said, Susan, I'm here. That was from 1983, and I never, ever forgot her love and kindness and what she did to me, even though I was convinced she was going to kidnap me and was taking me to a cult. It turns out she's been best friends with a friend here all that time who just never, ever put the name together. And I saw her again at the birthday party for the first time ever. She changed my life. She changed my life. So remember today, return your cause. You never, ever know what is going to happen. But I have gratitude beyond gratitude to that woman and always, always will. She offered her hand. I took it at the time. Then I carried on, you know, swimming around in the tsunami and it didn't work. But she planted a seed and I may be an oak tree that took a couple of, you know, just over a decade to, to get growing. But now that I've grown, I have so many branches and so many branches to offer you. And I'll put my number in the chat. Don, thank you again so much. It's always an honor and a pleasure to share my story and to give back what you have also graciously given me. So thank you very much. Okay, this is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you asked a question last week, which I won't know, so please be honest, please wait until the first three questions have been asked before raising your hand. So again, I think we all know how to raise our hands or not. Hi, Susan. Thank you so much. That was lovely. Um... Can you tell us during the day, um, if you're struggling, um, how you access God? How do you connect? Okay. So are you talking about if I'm struggling with my day? Okay. If you're just having a difficult day or you feel far from God or whatever it is, how do you, how do you connect in the times that are difficult? Um, I will say, fortunately, that doesn't happen a lot to me anymore. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. When I'm at work, I have to dig deep with myself, obviously, because I can't always step away. And I go back to those pages, to be honest with you, and on awakening. So I have to look at, you know, even if I look on 86 before when it says we retire at night, I have to look at why I'm being resentful. Someone's unmuted in this situation. Where am I being selfish, dishonest or afraid? 
Somebody might be ruffling my feathers. Again, might not be following my script. If I can make a phone call, I will, but it has to be quick. And I, I sort of go through it and do a mini 10 step, but, you know, as quickly as I can. And then immediately I have to take myself back to if I'm not being kind and loving, you know, how can I turn that around? So and I also have to remember, you know, God's God has a passport that goes anywhere and everywhere all the time. So I'm truly never, ever alone. So hope that helps, Melissa. Gloria, go ahead, please. Hi, I'm Gloria. I'm a compulsive overeater. And thank you for your share. My question was, what changed for you when you went from dieting to recovery? I mean, what was what was the change for you in that process? Sure. I mean, I think for me, I was sick and tired of myself. And I actually got scared. I got scared the way I was eating. It was very evident. It was more and more disturbing each time. You know, my food behaviors went from using cutlery or not. And when I'm preparing and I'm doing and it, there was just no grace in it. And I think that can't say all of you, but for me, I got to that moment of, like it says, this has to be stopped. You know, Bill Wilson says that many times in his story until he does stop. And sometimes I would stop for a bit, but that last time, a lot of wreckage happened with my family. And I just knew I was blowing everything up. And from coming to these meetings enough, even though I wasn't practicing any of the principles in my affairs, I had absorbed enough information to know that a lot of you weren't behaving that way anymore. Um, so, you know, I, I it was just about listening and doing, but really had to be scared. And, you know, again, like I said, I had to admit to my innermost self, I was in big time trouble. You're welcome. Kathy? Hi, thank you so much, Susan, for your share. My question is, if um, can you talk about your relationship with some kind of higher power or God before recovery and how that may have changed in recovery? Absolutely. Thank you for the question. Um, I didn't question it either way, whether God was or wasn't or was here but always expected God to be very available on a Sunday night. I don't know where I ever got that from, but I just did. And I would lie in bed after the wreckage of everything that I had done the weekend, not just from the amount of food that I'd eaten, but behaviors. And even when I was, you know, on my way down slimming, I still didn't use the best of behaviors. Um, and I was told here to sit quietly in the mornings. And to do these readings and to do things. And it tells me that God could and would if he was sought. And I started to seek not what can you do for me today, but how can I be useful to others in my life? Self-seeking will disappear. And in my experience, it happened pretty quickly. Um, so it was repetition of taking all of the actions and just becoming a part of and sort of just believing it happened for some of you who didn't believe in anything. And maybe you don't call it God that I do and your lives were better than they ever, ever had been. So why wouldn't it be possible for me? So it was that 
acts of just faith, just completely abandoning myself and trusting that you weren't a cult and you weren't going to sell me on the black market and off we go. So, you know, it's it was complete abandon. And when you're desperate and drowning, you you grab on, or in my experience, you do. So thank you for the question. Lisa. Thank you so much for this beautiful share. And I just want to tell you that even though you were heavy, those pictures, you are absolutely a gorgeous woman either way. Um, when you were heavy, were you a nice, pleasant person or were you uh, seething inside and pretending all the time? Or did you have friends? What was it like? Oh, I thank you for the question. Um, I have always been very Susie social. My report cards from when I was younger, I was always in trouble for talking too much in school and being the ringleader, all that sort of stuff. Um, so always very, very social. I not having grown up here, I wasn't ostracized from proms or different things. They have them in Europe now, but didn't have them growing up. I went to an all girls school. I was, I mean, Donna will know what this is. I was head girl. I was a prefect. I was a superstar in that way, but I couldn't stop eating. And as this progressed, which it does, my love and tolerance for others diminished a day at a time, mainly with my family. I would always take it out on them the most because they couldn't fire me. Um, other people could not return my cause. And it says at the end of the day, you know, were we loving and kind towards everybody? Well, on the outside, I was. I brought you beautiful presents to your shower, which I had gift wrap with gorgeous bows. And if you didn't make enough of a performance, I was assassinating you in my head. So that has all gone away today. Do I think you all behave perfectly the way I think you should all the time? Absolutely not. But I know that God has a bigger and better plan for you than I do. So I was pleasant, but I'd like to believe I'm a lot more pleasant today than I was then. So thank you for the question. Phoebe, go ahead, please. Hi, Susan. Thank you for your share. Um, I have two questions. Um, have you experienced a relapse and how did you overcome that? If so, and, Good. Um, and uh, my second question was, has your food plan been the same the entire time you've been in OA or has it evolved? Okay, thank you for the question. Um, so as I said, I came in and out for 16 years, but I asked you to be my sponsor. I never called you. I called you for a day. I didn't like what you said to me or I didn't want to do the work because don't you know? So I, again, when I look back today and I'm radically honest, were those relapses? I wasn't really doing it. So I do know from experience today and sponsoring other people that those lapses or thinking that somehow someday, you know, my little plans and designs, meditation slips away. I won't, you know, if you're somebody who tells somebody else what you're eating, I won't do that today. And mm, maybe I just won't tell them that bit. You know, the truth starts to leave me because my mind takes over and this is centered in my mind. And my food plan is just a tool anyway. It doesn't say anywhere in here will help, 
you know, it says the drink problem has been removed. But one of the biggest reminders for me of why this isn't a food plan is that the very first page of Bill's story where he says, I was lonely and I drank again. Um, what was the, oh, my food plan. Um, has it changed? No, I, I don't really think it has. Um, I still don't like raw celery. I'll never like it. So I don't eat it. Um, no, it, it's pretty basic the same. I mean, obviously coming down from 250 to where I am now, it changed a bit at the time, but then it's been pr pretty much the same. Um, and when I came in, there weren't any nutritionists in OA or anything like that. And if there were anybody who worked with 12-step people, they're a bloody fortune. And actually today I do have a nutritionist because I just wanted to check out what I was eating and doing and it all seemed to be fine. So I um, hope that helps. Thank you. Uh, Patricia? Hi, I was, thank you for your share, Susan. And I was curious, like, do you have any um, advice for newcomers in terms of like the outreach call? Because that's something I've been hesitant to do and it just feels so intrusive on someone's day. And I wondered if you could, how do you, how do you even make that call? What are you saying to people? I mean, I don't have advice. I will just give to you what was graciously given to me. Um, and I was told to call and say, I'm new to the fellowship and, you know, how are you? What meetings do you go to? And today, because again, we're so worldwide and so many different things are happening. I will sometimes suggest to my sponsors, you know, call and ask somebody their experience with this step or where you're struggling with this. You know, how did you overcome it? If you hear somebody speak on a meeting that they talk about something in a general way that you're going through, call them and, you know, zone in on that particular specific topic. Um, and once you've done it a couple of times, it really is okay. And one thing I will say is don't do that. I'm just making my calls. Thanks. You don't have to call me back. Bye. That, that won't help you any. And again, become a part of the fellowship and know that your phone call, even though you may think you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do, you're immediately helping somebody else who could be having a real rubbish day and you just don't know and you could be saving them. So think of what you might be doing for somebody else. Thank you for the question. Uh-oh, it's on. Okay. Uh, Susan, thank you so much. Um, what do you do on a daily basis? What's your daily routine regarding program? Sure, thank you. Because I think I meant to say that about 15 times. Um, so as I said, I get up in the morning, I do that. Then I have this mashup that somebody sent me um, that I listened to of on awakening and the 11th step prayers while I get my tea ready and everything. And I sit there and I read on awakening. I enjoy reading the daily readers from 24 hour day book. I don't look at my phone. I don't look at work emails, anything before then. If the world is blown up and I'm last man standing, such is life. I'll figure it out after that 30 minute time period. And then after I've listened to that, then I do a more formal meditation. Um, there are plenty of apps today and I just sit quietly. Um, so I do that. I don't actually commit my food anymore, but that would have been the next step. I take my sponsee calls in the morning. I speak to my sponsor, you know, a couple of times a week. Um, 
I make phone calls. I don't count them because I have so many of you today who I love talking to. So that isn't a number. Um, I write, I really, you know, I'm up and down the 12 step staircase and the tools are the handrails. The tools aren't where I got my recovery. However, the literature is, but just working some of the tools alone wouldn't have helped me. Um, so that's why I do it at night. Oh, I do a nightly review and I do do it on a, there's a great app and I, I do it on there and I, um, do it with a couple of other girls and we all exchange it and we write down a gratitude list. I go to meetings. I don't count how many anymore. Um, when I first came in, we were told to go to three meetings a week. It's a little bit like cheers, right? Where everybody knows your name. I do believe in local fellowship a lot. Um, you know, I'm very fortunate that I had, you know, a couple of decades of in-person meetings before, you know, we were in the pandemic. So I feel very, very fortunate about that. And just, you know, I try and think all through the day, where can I be helpful to others, whether it be in the workplace, whether it be a new person starting at work, whether, you know, whatever it is, you know, just to get out of my selfish and self-centeredness. So I hope that helps. So 